All right, today we're going to be in Judges chapter 11. Judges 11, verses 29 through 40. We are continuing on with the study of Jephthah here. And these are some tough verses for us to consider and think about. Uh, we'll, as we read, we'll see some of the difficulties that come, but we'll try our best to figure out, was Jephthah a good guy or was he a bad guy? Did he do a good thing or did he do a bad thing when it came to dealing with his daughter? I will say that most of the time when I hear uh, this taught on or preached on, generally speaking, uh, it's presented that Jephthah is a bad guy, that he did a very evil thing, he made a rash vow, and that uh, he had to pay the price for that vow. And that uh, from this story, we could take that we shouldn't make rash vows, which is indeed true, and I think uh, supported by other scriptures. But is that really the case here? Did Jephthah really make a rash vow, and did he continue through with that rash vow? Was he just a, a, a rough guy that didn't think before he spoke, or was he actually a godly man? Well, the scriptures may uh, give us reason to believe either way. So we'll look at the scriptures tonight, and we'll talk about uh, a few different scriptures we'll just kind of look at and see, well, could that be taken uh, in a different way than maybe what we've typically heard? Uh, I've never really, for the most part, I don't think ever heard Jephthah presented in a good way, at least in any sermon or, or, or person that I've ever heard teach about it, uh, although you can find people who don't believe that Jephthah is, is terribly bad. Uh, <clears throat> so we'll look at both of those views today, and we'll see if either have any great, greater support than the other. So, uh, we'll read through the text, and then we'll pray, and then we will jump in. I'll tell you what, let's pray, and then we'll go from the text, and then we'll go, go right into it. God, we come to you this night, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that you'd help us to make heads or tails about what we're going to be uh, talking about and learning about. I pray that when it comes to the story of Jephthah, that we just... We just trust your word as best we can, even if we come to a conclusion of something we don't really like or that's hard to accept. Uh, let us know, God, that you're in control and you do what's best, and your ways are higher than our ways, even if we don't understand them. Uh, so help us to look at your word clearly uh, and be able to come to a, a conclusion if we can, dear Lord. And if we can't, then just help us to be able to live with the mystery of what happened here with Jephthah. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Judges 11, verse 29. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh, and then through Mizpah of Gilead. He crossed over to the Ammonites from Mizpah of Gilead. Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand over the Ammonites to me, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord handed them over to him. He defeated twenty of their cities with a great slaughter from Aor, all the way to the entrance of Mineth and to abel Keramim. So the Ammonites were subdued before the Israelites. When Jephthah went to his home in Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him, with tambourines and dancing. She was his only child. He had no other son or daughter besides her. 
When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, No, not my daughter. You have devastated me. You have brought great misery on me. I have given my word to the Lord and cannot take it back. Then she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said. For the Lord brought vengeance on your enemies, the Ammonites. She also said to her father, Let me do this one thing. Let me wander two months through the mountains with my friends and mourn my virginity. Go, he said. And he sent her away two months. So she left with her friends and mourned her virginity as she wandered through the mountains. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father, and he kept the vow he had made about her. And she had never been intimate with a man. Now it became a custom in Israel that four days each year, the young women of Israel would commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Now, this is a tough story because what we see here, maybe at first glance, uh, is that Jephthah offered his daughter as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice, which is a pretty uh, horrible thing to consider. And if that indeed is what the text really says, then that's a, uh, a tough one for for a lot of us to even even think about now some this is a this is a real stumbling block to them some would say well if Jephthah sacrificed his daughter and that's the kind of God that uh, that he served and that you serve I don't want anything to do with that that God and uh, it's understandable that people may would come to that conclusion without really fully knowing and understand God and all of God's word but I will say that perhaps uh, you don't have to believe that view uh, if that view is a stumbling block for you, uh, there is another alternative. Maybe you are a, a God-fearing person who does trust the Lord and love the Lord, but yet still you struggle with this with this particular passage and verse. And maybe you've never really looked at it a different way or heard it uh, presented in a different way other than Jephthah uh, took the life of his daughter. Uh, but there may be good scriptural support even just within these verses uh, that would tell us that, that Jephthah was not maybe that bad. And perhaps he didn't offer his daughter uh, as a sacrifice in that he took her life. Maybe there's a different way to look at these verses. Before we kind of dig into these we just read, uh, we need to go back a little bit maybe and we need to look at also some verses that we looked at last week. Let's start today by looking at what the bad is about Jephthah. If we were going to make a case for Jephthah being bad and doing an evil thing before the Lord uh, and making a rash vow and then following through with it, uh, we need to look at some of the scriptures we looked at last week to see what they say. If you would turn to Judges chapter 11, verse 3. Judges chapter 11, verse 3. It says this, So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some lawless men joined Jephthah and traveled with him. Now, this is a simple verse that we may could take something out of or we may not could take something out of. Now, it says here that Jephthah fled from his brothers and he had to flee from his brothers because his brothers didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, he had a different mother than them. His mother was a prostitute, so therefore uh, he was kind of an outcast and his brothers got rid of him similar to the way that we saw Joseph's brothers get rid of him in the story of Genesis, although we saw that work out for the good. Here Jephthah was an outcast by his brothers. He left and went to this 
land of Tob. And the thing we see here is that there were some lawless men who joined him. Uh, it appears as though he may have been their leader in some, uh, some capacity. Some, the translations differ here. Some say that they were lawless men. Some say they were worthless men. Some say they were vain men. Uh, we may tend to look at these as criminal types. Maybe they were, or maybe they were just outcasts like Jephthah. But uh, it says here that they were lawless men or worthless men or vain men. Uh, which none of those terms seem to be very good terms. They seem to speak of men who were bad. We may could come to the conclusion from this verse uh, that Jephthah too must have been bad. After all, if he hangs out with this company, then, then he himself may have been a, a lawless and vain and worthless man too. Uh, now, these verses we're looking at, we, we kind of are, 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 are just looking at maybe the most extreme uh, translations of them or, or interpretations of them, I should say. Uh, you may not agree with any of these, and that's fine. You may fall somewhere in between. But if we're trying to make the worst case we can to present Jephthah in a bad light here, uh, then we may would choose this verse to be one to support that. He was hanging out with lawless men, so Jephthah himself was a lawless man. That doesn't necessarily have to be true, but it may be true. And so if we're looking for verses to tell us that Jephthah was bad, this is one that we could say, well, this may be a check mark against him in the bad category. Let's read on a little further. Verse 9. So Jephthah said to them, If you are bringing me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. Now, the translations differ here. Some translations are going to say, uh, have this last section about being the leader as a question. I will be your leader, question mark. Uh, some have it as a statement. I will be your leader, period. Uh, some would say that Jephthah was a power-hungry man, that all he cared about was himself and all he cared about uh, was being in power. He wanted to make sure he was going to be the one who was in charge here. Now, if we take this as a question, uh, then it may, it may lend to that argument. If we say, oh, well, I will be your leader, or will I be your leader? Uh, maybe Jephthah is asking that in a question. Perhaps he is that power-hungry man. Uh, perhaps he does want to be in control, and he's making sure that if he's going to do all this, that he's going to make sure to be the leader of the people which is bad uh, because if that indeed was the case, he wanted to be a power-hungry guy who wanted to lead. Uh, but it's also bad in that it, it wasn't good for Israel to have the type of leader maybe that he wanted to be. After all, Gideon, a few chapters ago, several verses back, uh, he said, I will not be your leader, uh, nor will my son. Now, even still, Gideon did some things that, that weren't good in making the ephod he made. Uh, and even later after that, his son Abimelech uh, wanted to be in leadership, and he was. He killed his brothers to see that he got into that leadership position. So to be the leader of Israel uh, was not something that he should have desired. He probably should have followed uh, Gideon's instruction here, and Gideon's example, I should say. Uh, and we see in the last chapter... Uh, what someone seeking to be a leader, what that led to for Israel. Well, it was, it was bad. When Abimelech became leader, he didn't care about the people. He only cared about being in charge and uh, getting things his way. And ultimately, that ended up being a bad thing for Abimelech and for the people of Israel. Now, maybe this verse means that Jephthah was a power-hungry man. Maybe not. It may depend on whether he was making a statement as to not, I will be your leader, or questioning, will I be your leader? He may not have had any ill intent whatsoever to read anything into this verse. Maybe 
too much one way or another. But if we are trying to build a case that Jephthah was not a good guy, then we could put this uh, in, in, our, in our list of scriptures that we make a call upon and say, okay, yeah, see, he was, he was looking to be leader. He didn't really care. He just wanted to be uh, the one in charge. And maybe that's the case. But uh, we, will, we will say that that verse will be sufficient if we are going to make an argument, uh, at least sufficient for consideration uh, upon deciding if Jephthah is good or if Jephthah is bad. If we read on a little further, verse 12, Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me and my land? Now, Jephthah is addressing the Ammonite king who is coming against uh, his people here, the Gileadites, and in his statement here, he doesn't mention Israel. He simply mentions himself. Or what do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? Now, uh, this may kind of go along with the last verse we said. If we are considering Jephthah to be uh, selfish and power-seeking and not concerned about anything else, well, this verse seems to have the me, me, my uh, going on for it. He's asking about me. He's asking, why do you fight against me? Why are you in my land? Well, is it Jephthah's land or is it the Lord's land? Well, it's the Lord's land. It's the Israelites' land. The Lord has provided it for them. Uh, but here we simply see Jephthah saying, uh, me, me, me. Uh, the, the concern seems to be about me. It's my land. I'm in control. I'm in power here. And if we're looking for a verse to say uh, that Jephthah was a power-hungry man that was concerned about himself, well, maybe verse 12 is another uh, argument to support that point. Let's continue on if we're looking for things that may be bad about Jephthah. Uh, verse 31. Well, let's read verse 30 for a little bit of context. This is where Jephthah makes his vow. In verse 30, Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand over the Ammonites to me, Whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Now, Jephthah made this vow, which many would say was a rash and foolish vow, and perhaps it was, which would be another check mark against Jephthah for being a kind of a bad guy for making such a rash vow when he didn't really have to. Jephthah didn't have to make such a vow, and some may would suggest that uh, he was proud in even making that vow, saying, oh yeah, well, yeah, if you'll do this, Lord, it, it, he didn't really come from the heart. He was just kind of offering lip service here. Oh God, if you'll, if you'll deliver these enemies over to me, then I'm going to offer this thing up to you. So what did he offer? Well, he said, whatever comes out of the doors of his house to greet him when he returns in peace from the Ammonites, will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Now, it's been suggested, and maybe properly so, that what Jephthah expected to come from his house was perhaps a pet of some sort, or perhaps a servant, something that he didn't care about, something that he would be uh, happy to offer as a burnt offering. Uh, and so if that was the case, then that would be definitely a check mark against him for being a bad guy. If he didn't really make the vow without thinking beforehand, or if he thought that, well, I'm just going to have to sacrifice an animal or a servant that comes out, I don't really care. Well, that doesn't make him to be uh, to look like a very good guy either. And so, uh, if we if we if we believe this vow was a rash vow, uh, and he made the vow on the basis that he thought a slave or an animal was going to come out, uh, then obviously he he didn't really think he was going to be offering anything 
too significant to the Lord, at least not in his eyes. Of course, human life is very significant. And so if he did hold that thought in his mind when he made the vow, uh, he obviously did not value human life very much. Now, the scripture doesn't say that he expected a servant or a slave of any sort or a or an animal to come out of the house. This is just speculation. This is just uh, something to consider. That may have been the case, and if Jephthah was a bad guy, uh, maybe there's a stronger argument that that was the case. Even still, he did say these things, and if those uh, thoughts were going through his head, and if he made this vow rashly, uh, then that would be a, a, another mark against him as being a bad guy. And so it kind of continues on. We're starting to see uh, through some of these verses that we're looking at that there is at least some consideration as to how we should take these verses and whether we can take them good or bad or whether some of these verses are simply indifferent. I'm just kind of giving you the extreme cases now uh, to consider that these may be bad. All right, verse 39. Verse 39. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father, and he kept the vow he had made about her. And she had never been intimate with a man. Now, Jephthah had let his daughter go off and mourn her virginity for two months, and after that time came, the scripture says that he kept the vow he had made about her. Now, what was, what, what was the vow? What did he say? Well, he said whatever came out of his house would belong to the Lord, and he would offer it up as a burnt offering. And so... If he kept his vow, then did he offer her up as a burnt offering? Well, uh, many would say that he did, and perhaps he did do that. Perhaps that is what the Scripture says. Uh, but the text is kind of ambiguous, and I mentioned that last week, uh, that it doesn't say here that he killed his daughter or offered her up as a burnt offering. It simply says he kept his vow. But if the vow was to offer as a burnt offering and he kept his vow, well, that's another check mark against Jephthah. So there are a few verses that we look at that we might would say, well, Jephthah was a bad guy from those verses. <clears throat> However, uh, we do have a little bit of an issue uh, with that in that we haven't seen anything terribly good from Jephthah up to this point, if indeed he made the rash vow and kept it, apart from the fact that he kept his vow from the Lord. That might would be the only uh, good thing that we saw. Uh, however, to offer a human sacrifice, his own daughter, to the Lord uh, would appear to be a bad thing, but uh, perhaps that was the Lord's will. Perhaps uh, the Lord didn't speak up here through, through what Jephthah was doing, so if he offered his daughter as a burnt offering, then perhaps the Lord accepted that, but it doesn't seem very, very like something that the Lord would do. Uh, but... The, the thing that we must realize is that in the book of Hebrews, uh, there's a list of, of people who are all faithful people in Hebrews 11. And right in the middle of that list is Jephthah. He is, he is looked at as, a if we can call him that, a hero of faith. Well, is he considered a hero of faith because he, uh, because he sacrificed his daughter to the Lord and kept his vow? Is that the, the faithfulness that he's commended for? Well, possibly so. Uh, Regardless of whether we come to the conclusion that Jephthah was a good guy or a bad guy here in Judges 11, uh, we cannot deny the fact that he was looked at as a man of faith. So maybe he was a bad guy all the way up until the time he uh, offered his daughter as a sacrifice. And maybe by keeping his vow, that's what made him a man of faith because he kept his vow even in the toughest circumstances. He didn't go back on his word to the Lord. 
Although there may be another reason why he's looked at as a man of faith. Maybe he's not that bad after all. Maybe he has some good qualities. Maybe instead of being a bad guy, maybe he was actually a godly guy. Uh, we'll look at those considerations here in just a moment. But before we leave, if we could give a brief conclusion for uh, the bad that we've looked at, if we were to kind of sum up these verses that we read, uh, we may come to a conclusion like this. And Jephthah was a rough guy who associated with rough company and only cared for himself. He was a power-hungry man who knew about God but did not fear him. In his pride, he made a rash vow that would cost him greatly and humble him before the Lord. He became a faithful man of God, but it cost him his child when it didn't have to. If Jephthah would have been humble before the Lord from the start, he would have gotten the same result, but without having to sacrifice his daughter. So, that may be the conclusion we would come to about Jephthah if we're looking at those verses we looked at and interpreting them uh, in, a, in a bad way about Jephthah. After all, he didn't even have to make such a vow. The Lord would have handed the enemies over to him. He could have just said, Lord, be with me. I'm going to fight my enemies and just help me defeat them. He didn't have to make such a rash vow after all, but he did. Uh, so, we will keep that into consideration. Now, let's kind of flip the script a little bit and let's uh, go back and look at Jephthah in a good sense. Could we interpret these verses we looked at or maybe some other ones in the text here in a different way? That maybe Jephthah wasn't bad. Maybe they could be interpreted in a different uh, way than we first did. Well, let's see if we can make a defense for Jephthah as being a good man uh, or even a, a, a godly man. We'll go back to verse 3. We'll kind of hit some of the same ones we just we just hit, kind of stick together here. Uh, verse 3 says, So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some lawless men joined Jephthah and traveled with him. Well, the fact that lawless, worthless, vain men uh, were traveling with him may have meant that Jephthah was a bad guy, or maybe it didn't. Perhaps Jephthah just traveled with those guys because maybe because of their, their past, their lawlessness, their, their worthlessness, uh, perhaps they were in the same boat as him. Maybe they were outcast, maybe for a different reason. Uh, he was outcast because of his mother being a prostitute. His brothers didn't like him. Uh, but yet and still, he was an outcast. Uh, maybe the rest of society in the area viewed, viewed him as lesser too because of his brothers and the way they treated him. Uh, perhaps these other men, these lawless men and worthless men, uh, were also outcast in their society for one way or another, uh, and they simply found one another in being outcast. Uh, just because he hung with these men may not necessarily mean that he himself was a lawless or worthless man. It may not mean anything at all. This verse may not tell us that he was a good guy or a bad guy. It just tells us who he hung out with. Uh, but just because he was with those people uh, and joined, some of those people uh, joined him, uh, that doesn't say for sure that Jephthah was a bad, rough, uh, lawless man himself. It just says that those people were with him. So we could use that verse and say, well, that verse doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't tell us he's bad, nor does it tell us he's good, but it at least leaves the possibility open that he's not bad, uh, even if he is not good. All right, verse 9. Let's read verse 9 again. So Jephthah said to them, If you are bringing me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. Now, 
We talked about, we could take that last phrase, I will be your leader, as a question or a statement, uh, and that maybe he was proud in, in, in making this, saying, okay, well, look, I, if, if I come back with you and the Lord gives these people to me, will you, will you let me be your leader? Well, maybe he was a power-hungry guy, or maybe he was saying, look, I'm only going to be your, your leader if, if it's the Lord's will. Maybe he's saying, look, I'm not going to be your leader unless the Lord hands these enemies over to me. And should the Lord give the enemy over to me, then I will be your leader. Maybe he wasn't saying such, such a thing and that he was seeking to be leader. Maybe he was really seeking the Lord's will, saying, look, if the Lord doesn't want this to be, then he's not going to hand the enemy over to me, and I'm not going to be your leader. But if the Lord is in this, if the Lord delivers us, then I will be your leader. And maybe, just maybe, Jephthah viewed uh, being the leader as, as, as God appointing him as leader by delivering the enemies over to him. And he was saying, I'm not going to do this unless it's appointed by God. So maybe he was not a, a proud, power-seeking, power-hungry man at all. Maybe he really was a man who was seeking the Lord to deliver them in battle. And it was only going to be through the Lord's deliverance that uh, Jephthah would know that it was God's will for him to be the leader of the people. And as such, he was only going to lead should the Lord uh, deliver the enemy and, and make that happen. So maybe Jephthah was a godly man who really was seeking the Lord and didn't want to appoint himself as leader in the same way as Abimelech did. Maybe he said, I'm not going to not gonna fall into that trap. It's going to be a Lord-appointed leadership, should it be. And if the Lord delivers the enemy, then he will be the one that appoints me leader. Then I will be your leader. So maybe uh, when he makes that statement, uh, maybe it is just that. Maybe it is a statement and not a question. And he's simply saying, I'll be your leader when the Lord delivers the enemy and allows me to be your leader. So maybe he was not power hungry, but rather uh, seeking the Lord's will through all of these things. Now, we won't read uh, verses 12 to 28 because it's a little long, uh, and we read it last week, but we will talk about it. Now, in these verses, this is when Jephthah decides to go against the king of the Ammonites. Uh, and we saw those verses that he's asking uh, about, why have you come against me and my land? Well, maybe he's only concerned about himself and the me's and the me's and the my's there. Or maybe he's just speaking as a representative for the Lord. If he is a leader that the Lord has put into place or is going to put into place and the Lord has called to be here, maybe he's speaking uh, for the land of Israel. Maybe he's speaking for the Lord. Uh, maybe he's speaking collectively when he says me, me and my land. Maybe he's not just concerned about himself. Uh, maybe he's concerned about all of the people in the land. Uh, maybe he just uses that language because he is the one speaking. Uh, it may be a little much for us to conclude that he's a bad man from these verses or to conclude that he's a good man from these verses. Uh, but just because he says me, me, and my does not necessarily mean that he is a selfish and proud man, although as we discussed earlier, it could. But as he goes on and continues to talk to the king of the Ammonites here, what we see over these next few verses is that Jephthah has a great knowledge of the history of Israel. He knows about Israel. He knows how they went into the land. He knows that they didn't take any land that they weren't supposed to from the Ammonites or from the Moabites, the land that the Lord had commanded them not to take. They did not take that land. Now, Jephthah knew the story very well. Uh, it could be that he was just simply a history buff, that he knew all about the history of Israel, uh, even if he didn't follow what God's commands were. Uh, but it could also be that 
maybe Jephthah knew the, the, the commands and the laws and the history of Israel because he was a godly man. Maybe his vast knowledge that he has in verses 12 through 28 uh, shows that he was a godly man and that, he, and that he knew very specific details about Israel and their past and gave, uh, he kind of laid out this whole description of, of what had taken place in defense of Israel here to tell the king of, of Ammon that they did not take their land. Uh, so maybe he knew all of these things because he was a godly man. Maybe he was a man who had studied the history of Israel and who knew what God had commanded the people of Israel throughout the years as they were going into the promised land. And maybe he was a godly man who knew all this because he was a godly man. And so uh, that's a good consideration for us to think about uh, when, we, when we go through here. Just because he knew uh, God's word and Israel's history uh, would not necessarily make him a good man. There are many people in the world and throughout history who have known God's word very well, uh, but they are not godly men or women, those who do that. But uh, the, chance, the fact that he knew a lot of that, uh, to me, is a positive to say that maybe he was a good man. Uh, maybe he did really serve the Lord. Maybe he really did seek the Lord, and maybe he did seek to know his word, and that's why he knew uh, about Israel's past, and that's why he knew it so well. Now, let's continue on to verses 30 and 31. Jephthah made this vow to the Lord, If you will hand over the Ammonites to me, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Now, Again, here we are at this tough verse. Well, what do we make about this verse? This verse seems pretty clear. Uh, he, he made this vow. Uh, perhaps he was making the vow rashly, as is often uh, presented to be the case. Perhaps he made the vow because he really loved the Lord. Maybe he didn't make a rash vow at all. Maybe he fully intended to sacrifice the Lord. After all, if he believed the Lord was going to hand the enemies over, maybe he was saying, look, Lord, I'm going to praise you for what you're going to do. If you hand these enemies over, I'm going to offer you praise. I'm going to offer you worship. I'm going to show you the, uh, I'm going to show you the, the praise that you deserve for delivering your people and being with me uh, through this battle. Maybe he knew exactly what he was vowing. Maybe he wasn't vowing rashly, but he was vowing as a man who feared the Lord and wanted to offer proper sacrifice to him uh, and being delivered from his enemies. Uh, that's not a, a, a consideration that I often hear presented, but I don't think it's unreasonable to consider that maybe Jephthah didn't have any, any, any poor motives here. Maybe he wasn't expecting, oh, I'll just sacrifice my servant or my animal. Maybe he fully intended to offer uh, something to the Lord that was going to be uh, a sacrifice or an offering to the Lord uh, because he loved the Lord. Uh, it's a possibility. And if that's the case, then, well, maybe Jephthah was actually a pretty good guy for wanting to offer such sacrifices and making such a vow to the Lord. So he says, Whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I'll offer it as a barn offering. Now, this is a tough verse, and there is some uh, <clears throat> reason to, to maybe consider this verse in a different way than it actually reads. Because, he says, whatever comes out of his house will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Now, probably all of your translations that, that we have here that we're looking at tonight are going to say, 
will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. But the the word that's used there for and in the original language is actually the same word that is used for or, O-R. And so it the, the word that's in the original language there could be and, or it could be R, O-R. Now, that changes up the verse considerably. If we were to read the verse, uh, whatever comes out of my house will belong to the Lord, or I will offer it as a burnt offering, well, that changes everything. With the and, it means that whatever comes out of the house will belong to the Lord, and that thing will be offered as a burnt offering. But if the word there is supposed to be or, which it, it could be because the, the language permits that, then, then it reads totally different. Whatever comes out of my house will belong to the Lord, or I will offer it as a burnt offering. Now, the reason why that makes a difference is because maybe Jephthah, if he was making a not a rash vow, but a good vow, maybe instead of thinking it was going to be a slave or an animal that was going to come out, well, maybe he knew that anything could come out, even his only daughter. And therefore, he left himself uh, a way to, uh, to not have to offer it as a burnt offering. By saying that it will belong to the Lord, perhaps he was saying, all right, whatever comes out of my house is either going to be dedicated to the Lord. That may be a better way to help us understand to use the word dedicated. Whatever comes out will be dedicated to the Lord, or I will offer it as a burnt offering. So he has two options there. If something comes out that's not able to be offered as a burnt offering, uh, it can be dedicated to the Lord. It can be given to the Lord uh, in service of some sort, for instance. Uh, or it uh, if something comes out of his house that can be offered as a burnt offering, then it will be offered as a burnt offering. Uh, but not everything that comes out of the house can be uh, offered as a burnt offering. Not every animal. There were certain animals that could be offered in certain ways. And so uh, it would depend on what came out as to what could be uh, done. So if it was his daughter that came out, and, and the language really should say, or whatever comes out will belong to the Lord, or I will offer it as a burnt offering, well, then, then, then there's an option there. If it would have been his daughter, well, he didn't have to offer her as a burnt offering. He could have simply dedicated her to the Lord. Now, when we say dedicated to the Lord, uh, we may, uh, uh, the story of Samuel and 1 Samuel, if you read that story, his mother Hannah wanted a child uh, and God gave her that child and she had dedicated that child uh, to service uh, with the priest. Um, uh, the priest at the tent of meeting. Now, eventually, there would be the temple that would come along, and there would also be people who would serve at the temple too. Uh, but in this time, we had uh, someone, uh, Hannah, dedicating her son uh, to serve in the in the uh, in the tent of meeting. Uh, we also know that there were women who served in the tent of meeting, uh, because later on, the priest's sons uh, did not did not treat the women uh, respectfully. We could, we could say in the tent of meeting, uh, he had some bad sons, and they did some bad things, uh, and one of which was uh, not treating the women of the of the tent of meeting properly. Uh, so when we talk about dedicating someone to the Lord, we have some examples there just in that one story of both a male and Samuel and some female, some women, uh, both serving at the, at the tent of meeting. Uh, and so it's a possibility that that's exactly what Jephthah was doing here. He was saying, look, if something comes out, that is my daughter, that cannot be offered as a burnt offering, uh, then that will be dedicated to the Lord. 
And so it may be that he did not make a vow uh, to kill his daughter here at all. Uh, the language, at least the original language, would permit that, uh, even though our translations may all say the word and. Uh, the fact that it could be the word or there uh, is a good possibility, or at least a possibility worth consideration. Uh, and if that's the case, then boy, that really changes up the whole way we interpret uh, the Scripture. If that one word is different, uh, it, really could, it really could change the way that we view Jephthah and the whole passage as not being uh, that bad guy that we may have originally thought, but maybe he's a little better than uh, we would consider. Now, the reason why we can continue to, to give some uh, support for the fact that maybe Jephthah did not offer his daughter as a burnt offering, but did dedicate her to service in the tent of meeting or service in the Lord in some capacity, is the response that we see from her uh, throughout the story. Now, when he sees her coming out, he is devastated, the scripture says, because he's given his word to the Lord and cannot take it back. Now, interestingly enough, the daughter says, look, you have given the Lord your word, and so do to me as you have said. But she does make a request. She says, let me do the one, this one thing. Let me wander two months through the mountains with my friends and mourn my virginity. Now, that may be a good clue there uh, as to what's going on. Even the context of, of just this chapter, uh, regardless of whether we remember the verse in Hebrews or not that lists Jephthah as a man of faith, uh, even without reading that, we still could, I think, come to the conclusion that Jephthah didn't offer his daughter as a sacrifice, just simply in, these, in the context of these verses. And in the context, she is mourning her virginity. She's not mourning her death. Uh, it's possible that even if she was really going to be sacrificed as a burnt offering, that she still would mourn her virginity because that was an important thing back then to be married to have children that was a that was a huge thing uh, you may remember from last week when we talked about uh, the daughters of Lot uh, getting him drunk so they could uh, get impregnated by him uh, and have children because they would have children no other way uh, and that's how Moab and Ammon were born that's where the Ammonites come from so to have a husband or to have a child uh, was a big deal in that culture Perhaps to die without uh, ever having a husband or a child uh, was, a, was a very big thing, so, so big of a thing that uh, even knowing that her death was upon her, that's what she was more concerned about, that she never uh, was able to give birth. It's possible that even as, if she was offered as a burnt offering, she would still mourn her virginity. It's also possible, however, that uh, she's mourning her virginity and not her death because she's not going to die. She, she, she's not going to be offered as a burnt offering. But if she's going to be dedicated for her service in the tent of meeting or to serve the Lord in some capacity, uh, then that may mean she will have to be a virgin for the rest of her life, and most probably uh, it does. And so she asks if she can go wander for two months in the mountains with her friends and mourn her virginity. And her father lets her do that. And so her friends and her go and they mourn that virginity. So when the time is up at the end of, uh, of her wandering in verse 39 that we looked at a while ago, it says at the end of the two months she returned to her father and he kept the vow he had made about her. She had never been intimate with a man. Now, the language there is kind of, kind of uh, ambiguous as we have mentioned before. It says he kept the vow. Well, what was the vow? Was the vow to uh, give to the Lord 
and offered as a burnt offering whatever came out of his door, or was the vow to give whatever comes from his door to the Lord or offered as a burnt offering? Well, it, de- it determine, uh, depends on how we uh, interpret that vow as to what vow he kept. Um, it says he kept the vow. It doesn't say he offered her, offered her as a burnt offering, uh, so perhaps he didn't. Or perhaps we just need to say, yep, he did. That was the vow that he offered her as a burnt offering. Uh, but the fact that she's concerned about her virginity, after it says he kept her vow, the next thing that it says is that she had never been intimate with a man. Again, the idea of virginity is, is the next thing that's mentioned after, she kept, uh, after he kept the vow. So it's possible that he did not offer his daughter as a burnt offering. It's possible maybe he was a pretty good guy who, who didn't make a rash vow but made a vow to offer something to the Lord. And he did offer that to the Lord in being his daughter. Even still, it was tough because we were, we were given some very specific details. That was his only daughter. He had no other children. Uh, it's interesting that that detail is mentioned. Uh, that may give an argument for the fact of, of, of while he was devastated. He may not have been devastated because he was going to have to offer his daughter as a burnt offering. He may have been devastated because he knew that was his only child. And by dedicating her to the Lord uh, for the Lord's service, that means she would remain a virgin, which means he would never have any grandchildren, which means his bloodline uh, would stop right there. Uh, So even if the vow was rash, there's still a possibility uh, that he would have, he he would have, you know, mourned, been devastated because his daughter uh, was never going to have a child, and that he may not have been devastated because he was going to have to take her life. Now it says it became a custom in Israel that four days each year the young women of Israel would commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Now this translation says commemorate. Several others say commemorate, or at least some others, I should say. Uh, Some others say the word lament, that they would lament the daughter of Jephthah. I think that probably the word commemorate may be a little little better word, although I don't know that either of those uh, words are most accurate to the to the uh, original language there. The, the, maybe the most literal interpretation may be that they would recount the story of the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. But commemorate or recount, like neither of those, neither of those words uh, would, would necessarily tell us that she was dead. You can commemorate someone who was, who was alive. Say uh, someone was retiring and they were being commemorated for their 30 years of service and as commemoration for their service they were being given a gold watch. We see that type of thing sometimes. Uh, sometimes people are commemorated when they're alive or sometimes when they are dead. Maybe commemorating uh, war heroes or something like that. Uh, if, if we use what may be more literally correct in that recounting the story, well, even still, that doesn't tell us that she was killed. They recount the events that took place, but uh, they may be recounting her death and sacrifice, or they may simply uh, be recounting the story and, and the sadness that she felt and the sadness in their own lives, knowing that uh, she would never uh, get to be a mother. And, and for other women, they would sympathize with that, and maybe that's why they were commemorating her. Uh, again, it's, it's kind of vague there, so it's hard to... To make a firm argument one way or the other uh, when it comes to when it comes to that. Now, if we are going to say Jephthah's a good guy, we've got uh, a, a few scriptures there that we looked at and a different way that we could interpret them 
to make it uh, to to give us some reason to consider that he was a good guy. Uh, if we're going to come to a conclusion for that that argument, it may sound something like this: Joseph was a godly man who was wrongly outcast by his brothers, much like Joseph in Genesis. Jephthah would soon be the deliverer of those who once wanted nothing to do with him. He was a godly man who was seeking the Lord's presence with a desire to offer praise to him through his vow. He was known for his faith in keeping his vow to the Lord, even though it would mean the end of his bloodline. So if we are going to consider Jephthah as a good man, uh, that might be a good way to sum up some of the verses we've read. Now, I've kind of gone both ways on some of these verses we looked at, and you may say too much so. Uh, and you may be right. Uh, I'm just trying to try to look at the best case or the worst case when it comes to these verses is trying to make an argument one way or another. It could be that some of these verses we've looked at are really just indifferent, and we couldn't make a good argument for good or bad. Maybe, uh, or maybe let me rephrase that. We maybe we couldn't make a convincing argument that he was good or bad from those verses. We just read them and we just kind of take them and we go on. Uh, or maybe you do view some of those verses as as making Jephthah be good or making Jephthah be bad. There are, however, some other scriptures to consider uh, when we are looking at whether Jephthah a good man or a bad man. Uh, let's look at, uh, if we're going to argue that he should have kept his vow, even if it was a bad vow, and even if he did offer a sacrifice to of his daughter, uh, let's look at some scriptures that may would uh, give some uh, support to that fact that he kept the vow. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 25 says, it is a trap for anyone to dedicate something rashly and later to reconsider his vows. So, pretty simple, pretty short, but the Bible does want us to keep our vows. That's pretty clear. Uh, we should keep our vows. Regardless of whether Jephthah made a rash vow or not, we still should not make a rash vow. Uh, regardless of whether he actually sacrificed her daughter or not, his daughter or not, uh, we should not make a rash vow. Uh, even if we determine he was a good man that didn't offer his daughter, well, that, that, that message that's often preached, don't make rash vows, well, that's still a good message that's supported uh, by scriptures. Uh, let's look at another one in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and do not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you. And do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the works of your hands? For many dreams bring futility. So do many words. Therefore, fear God. Now, that's pretty, pretty clear uh, that we are to keep our vows that we make to the Lord. Uh, and he did make a vow to the Lord. And if that vow was to offer his daughter... Uh, eventually as a burnt offering, then is this first good evidence that he should keep that vow? Should we keep our vow to the Lord under any and every circumstance? Maybe that's why he was considered a man of faith. Maybe he was a bad guy, but through keeping his vow to the Lord, uh, maybe God humbled him and taught him a good lesson. Maybe from that day forward, after offering his daughter as a burnt offering, uh, perhaps he, he learned his lesson. It was a hard lesson, uh, and maybe it was a hard lesson for God to let him learn. But maybe God knew that was the only way that he was going to spare Jephthah. Uh, maybe Jephthah's daughter was already a godly girl, and she was already going to be taken care of by the Lord. Maybe Jephthah wasn't, 
And the only way that they could both be uh, the Lord's children was that uh, she would be sacrificed, she would live a short life, but she would still be the Lord's. And uh, through his sacrificing of her, then he would have faith in the Lord and he would be a child of the Lord too. So perhaps that's why the Lord allowed these things to continue. And he kept his vow, and in keeping his vow, at least he showed some fear of the Lord. And as the scriptures say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And maybe that's why he may have been considered a man of faith, even if he did this 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 difficult thing and, and really horrible thing of offering his own daughter as a burnt offering. After all, we do have good good support there that we should keep our vows to the Lord in Ecclesiastes 5. But, uh, however, the law seems to offer a, a, a way to get out of such vows. Uh, the law itself, the Lord provided the people a way uh, when they made a foolish or rash vow to uh, get out from under that. Uh, if, if, if he was a good man, uh, he would have probably known about these, these scriptures uh, if he knew about all the rest of Israel's history. It's not unreasonable to think that maybe he knew about the rest of the law and maybe he knew these scriptures. Even if he hadn't made a rash vow, if he was a godly man, he would have known that there would have been a way out of that rash vow. Even if he would have been a bad man, uh, there still would have been a way out of the vow. Now, maybe he didn't know it. If he was an ungodly and rash man, maybe he didn't know God's word. Maybe he didn't know that there was a way out. Maybe there were no other people around to tell him, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? You're going to offer your daughter? Uh, wait, you don't have to do that. Don't you know that God, God's word gives us a way uh, not, not to have to do such things if we make rash vows? Or maybe no one else was involved. We just simply don't know. But the scripture does seem to give a way out. Now, uh, I'll read these scriptures and you can see if they apply to this situation or not. They may or may not, but uh, they are good consideration for sure. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4 and 6 say this, if some, Or if someone swears rashly to do what is good or evil concerning anything, a person may speak rashly in an oath without being aware of it, but later recognizes it, he recognizes it, he incurs guilt in such an instance. If someone incurs guilt in one of these cases, he is to confess he has committed that sin. He must bring his restitution for the sin he has committed to the Lord, a female lamb or goat from the flock, as a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement on his behalf for his sin. Now, that verse seems very well to go along with what Jephthah has done. Did he swear an oath rashly that was turned out to be evil? Well, he did. He later recognized it, uh, and he incurred guilt because he swore rashly. That's exactly what this verse is talking about. So, what should happen in such an instance? Well, if someone incurs guilt in one of these cases, he is to confess that he has committed sin. Okay, well, Jephthah had committed sin. He did vow rashly. So, what was to be done? Well, he must bring a restitution for his sin. Well, what was the restitution offering supposed to be? A female lamb or a goat from the flock, that was supposed to be a sin offering uh, to cover those rash vows. So even if Jephthah had have made a rash vow, there would have been a way that God allowed in the law to cover such rash vows. So he would not have to have offered his daughter as a burnt offering. Now, if he knew that, if he knew the law, if he knew what God allowed, then, well, he for sure, surely, if there was any way not to offer your child as a burnt offering, uh, you would not do that. 
And so if he knew that, then that would say, well, he's got a way not to do it. If he didn't know it, well, maybe he did follow through and keep that vow. Verse, uh, Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When someone makes a special vow to the Lord that involves assessment of people, if the assessment concerns a male from 20 to 60 years old, your assessment is 50 silver shekels, measured by the standard sanctuary shekel. And if the person is female, your assessment is 30 shekels. Now, in Leviticus 27, it, it seems to offer a way for, for the people to kind of buy back things that maybe they had set apart for the Lord. And it would appear as though that may be the case even for humans because it says uh, if someone makes an assessment uh, involving people, well, they can, they can essentially buy them back. Uh, at least I believe that's what this text is saying, although this is kind of a, a tough one, but I think that's, that's what this means here. And it says that for a male from the ages of 20 to 60, well, they fetch a higher price. Why? Well, that's the prime of a man's life. That's when he can do the most work. So buying back a, 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 a vow or, or a dedication that was made uh, for someone like that would cost more that the people would have to give. Um, for a female, it would only be 30, uh, 30 shekels. So uh, in this case, this may be a verse to support that he could have essentially bought back his daughter from service to the Lord uh, and offered 30 shekels, and that would have covered that since he uh, had, had, had made a vow to dedicate a, a human uh, or to sacrifice a human. Although that's kind of a tough chapter, and I still am not, not completely sure about that. But it's one that may be worth looking into more and considering uh, as we study uh, this topic. Uh, however, when we look at the Lord, would the Lord have wanted him to continue through uh, with offering his daughter? Now, I mentioned earlier that perhaps if the Lord was trying to uh, draw him, uh, that is, draw Jephthah to him, to the Lord, uh, then maybe he would have wanted him to follow through uh, with such a vow. Although, uh, we, we know that God values human life, and to offer a child as a burnt offering uh, is something that God commanded the Israelites not to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, You must not do the same to the Lord your God, because they practice every detestable thing. That is, uh, a little context there, he's telling the Israelites, they shouldn't be like the other people of the land and worship their gods and do things the way the other people do them to their gods because they practice every detestable thing which the Lord hates for their gods. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Be careful not to be ensnared by their ways after they have been destroyed before you. Do not inquire about their gods asking how do these nations worship their gods. I'll, do, I'll also do the same. You must be careful to do everything I command you. Do not add anything to it or take anything away from it. Now, here God specifically says, don't do what the other people do and, and do what their gods, uh, what they do to their gods. Well, what do they do, do for their gods? Well, they burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Now, uh, if Jephthah would have offered his daughter up as a burnt offering, well, that's exactly what he would have been doing. He would have been offering his daughter up in the fire to the Lord. Now, the Lord didn't approve of such things. Would he allow such things to, to, to happen because they happened because of a vow? Well, maybe. Or maybe God didn't want him to uh, offer his daughter as a burnt offering, and maybe he didn't. 
maybe he never even attempted to do that. Maybe he simply offered her as dedication uh, to the Lord, and uh, he never offered her as a burnt offering at all because the Lord commanded the people not to do that. Uh, so we are left with this, that Hebrews 11.32 says, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So right there in that list, even though we don't have much detail, we see that uh, Jephthah is remembered as being one who was great in the faith. So uh, we kind of have kind of have two different ways we've looked at this tonight. We've looked at Jephthah as maybe being a really bad guy, as being a really good godly guy. Maybe he's somewhere in between. Uh, maybe he offered his daughter as a burnt offering, or maybe uh, he did not. Uh, although the scripture may at first glance, or maybe uh, after hearing it through the years, we've heard that Jephthah has offered his daughter uh, as a burnt offering. Uh, maybe tonight we at least have consideration uh, to, to think, well, maybe he didn't. Maybe she simply was offered to the Lord for uh, temple service. Verses like these are difficult. And even if the Lord did allow Jephthah to offer his daughter, uh, then we just have to trust that the Lord's uh, way is right. Uh, some would say when this story comes about, well, this is similar to the story of Abraham uh, and Isaac. Well, maybe in some ways we may could make some 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 parallels or some contrast between the two stories. Uh, but really at their core, they're kind of different because in the story of Abraham and Isaac, it was the Lord that gave the command for Abraham to offer Isaac. And it was the Lord that spoke to stop Abraham from offering Isaac. Now that story is maybe a difficult one for some to wrap their head around as well. But in that story, uh, the Lord provided a lamb who was to be uh, sacrificed, uh, and Isaac was not sacrificed uh, as, uh, to the Lord. And so uh, that story had a very happy ending, but it was the Lord who had, who had commanded Abraham to even begin the process. In the story of Jephthah and his daughter, uh, the Lord didn't command Jephthah to offer his daughter as a sacrifice. He never gave such a command. And while the Lord could have spoken up to stop him if he indeed offered her as a burnt offering, uh, we don't see that in the script in the text. Now maybe it's because well the Lord just didn't speak up, or maybe it's because he never he never uh, intended to offer as a burnt offering. Uh, maybe if Jephthah really had offered her as a burnt offering, maybe the Lord would have spoke up in that instance too. Uh, seeing that Jephthah was faithful enough to offer up his own daughter, maybe the Lord would have spoke up in the same way that he did uh, with Abraham. Uh, in the case of Abraham, he was simply uh, following what God's command was. In the case of Jephthah, he may have been making a rash vow, or he may not have even offered up his daughter in any way, shape, or form. Some may also make a connection between uh, Jesus being offered up on a cross, saying, well, didn't God do the same thing for Jesus? Did, didn't God sacrifice Jesus on the cross? Well, yes, Jesus was a sacrifice on the cross, but I believe that that's different because Jesus willingly was, was ready to die. Jesus made that choice. Jesus went to the cross because he wanted to go to the cross. He was not forced to go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. It was Jesus' love that drew him to the cross, that kept him on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. He willingly went and he gave his life for us. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. 
And so I don't believe that this story is quite like, uh, like the story of Jesus in that way. Although maybe we could make that connection all, uh, because we see that Jephthah's daughter said, all right, whatever you vow to the Lord, I'm willing to do it. Maybe she was a willing sacrifice too, if indeed she was sacrificed as a burnt offering. Uh, maybe she had that willing spirit, although in her case, she was giving her life as a, as to, keep, to keep her father's vow. Uh, but in the case of Jesus, he gave his life for something uh, much more beneficial. Uh, Jesus gave his life for the forgiveness of sins for each and every one of us uh, so that we may be forgiven because of the blood that was shed on the cross. Because he died and because he was resurrected, he gave his life as a sacrifice for us. And because he was resurrected, uh, he conquered death, he conquered the grave, and so can we be uh, resurrected. And we will conquer death and we will conquer the grave and we will be victorious in Jesus Christ uh, and we will be like him if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we trust him uh, with our lives uh, because he gave his life for us, shouldn't we give our life for him? There's a lot to consider in this story of Jephthah. Uh, and maybe you believe that Jephthah sacrificed his, his daughter as a burnt offering. Uh, I can accept that. That's hard. That's a hard thing to wrap our head around that God would allow such a thing. But uh, I trust that God's in control. So if that's indeed what happened, then uh, I can accept that. Although for some, uh, you may say, well, I can't accept that. Well, I would say don't reject God just based on this story and on that interpretation. Uh, we have seen tonight that maybe there is a different interpretation, uh, one that doesn't in include Jephthah offering his daughter as a sacrifice. And uh, so don't allow this story to be a stumbling block to you because there are Christians who believe uh, that Jephthah did not offer his daughter as a burnt offering. Now, uh, I'd be curious to know how many of you... Uh, view the story tonight after we've talked about it. So if you think that Jephthah did offer his daughter as a burnt offering uh, and took her life, raise your hand. Okay, okay. Alright, if you think that Jephthah uh, did not offer his daughter as a, as a burnt offering, but that he dedicated her to the Lord, raise your hand. Okay, that's a, that's a lot of you. If you're still undecided, if you're still thinking, man, I just don't know what to make of this. That some of these texts could go one way or another, and I just am not really sure what to make of it. Raise your hand. Okay. Well, I understand it's a, it's a tough passage, and so uh, thankfully, praise the Lord, we can we can all agree to disagree on this because uh, how we view Jephthah does not determine our salvation. Uh, how we view Jesus is what makes the difference. Do we trust Jesus or not? Uh, we may get the story of Jephthah wrong, and indeed, some of us have, because we don't all have the same view. Uh, and there's no way we can both be right. He either killed his daughter, or, let me rephrase that, offered her as a burnt offering, or he didn't. Uh, so if we have different views there, we can't both be right. Uh, and so we understand God's Word as best we can here. God's Word is difficult, and this is one of those areas where we can agree to disagree. Uh, we can't disagree on Jesus. We can never disagree on Jesus because that is the gospel. That is Christianity. If we disagree that Jesus was the Son of God who died on the cross and gave his life for us, uh, was buried and resurrected, uh, then, then, then if you don't believe that, I, I would say you're not a Christian. That is Christianity. We can't 
disagree on that point when it comes to uh, things in the Bible. But things like this we can disagree on because they're tough things. And they're not going to have an effect on our salvation when we stand before the Lord. He's going to say, well, I'd love to let you in, but you totally, uh, you totally missed that story of Jephthah, so I'm not going to let you in. No, we're not judged based on uh, whether Jephthah uh, made a sacrifice or his, of his daughter. Uh, we're going to be judged based on the fact that Jesus made a sacrifice of himself. He willingly gave himself. And if we have put our faith and trust in him, that's what we're going to be judged by, by what he did and not what we did. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these words, and I pray that as we study this story that we wouldn't get too caught up in it, dear Lord. It's an interesting story, and we want to understand it as best we can, but it's tough. So help us to make heads or tails, dear Lord, of what your word says here, that we would understand it as best we can. And whatever conclusion we come to about Jephthah, let us know that you're in control. And God, he uh, was a man of faith, and so we have to recognize him as that as we, as we consider him and what happened here. But God, most, most of all, let us keep our focus on Jesus uh, and the sacrifice that he gave, not the sacrifice that Jephthah may or may not have made, but on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ 100% for sure did make for us. And God, if there's one that doesn't know Jesus or has never accepted him as Lord and Savior and accepted that sacrifice, then dear Lord, I pray they do it tonight. I pray that they know tonight that Jesus willingly gave himself for us. And what a beautiful, wonderful sacrifice that is. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.